Hey, Moncton Wesleyan family, and a special happy Mother's Day to all the moms watching this morning. I think this year more than ever, you deserve a special medal for surviving all the extras that you're having to do, like homeschooling kids, working from home while running your own daycare, and just trying to keep everyone entertained. I'm thankful this morning for my two kids that have made me a mom, Hope and Noah. And I wanted to take a few minutes and talk to you on what I have called the expectation gap. Have you ever expected something to turn out one way and it turned out completely different? Well, I think that we can all say that at this point. And today we're gonna look a bit into the life of John the Baptist and see if he was expecting something that turned out completely different. We're going to be looking at John chapter one, verse 26, and this is John the Baptist speaking and he's at the Jordan River baptizing and he says this, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. So he was speaking of Jesus here who hadn't really quite shown up on the scene yet. And then let's look at verse 29 and 30. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said that a man comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And then I want us to go over to the book of Matthew where we see an unexpected turn of events. In Matthew chapter 11, verses two and three, when John who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? And what was John expecting? Well, we know that it was out of line with what Jesus was doing, but Jesus was doing everything that was prophesied. So Who's wrong here, John or Jesus? I think back to a time when I was pastoring a church and a single mom with three kids named Stacy had phoned and asked for groceries. Now we'd often get these calls as a church, but my heart especially went out to her, so I wanted to take care of this one myself. I thought that it would be nice to not only buy her groceries, but to also get Stacy a few items that she could pamper herself with. I went out and I bought a big basket and filled it with things like a face mask, nail polish, bubble bath, foot scrub, special hair repair oil, and I wrapped it all up in cellophane and tied it with a big pink bow. I got everything together and I headed over to the house. And I thought that I would present the basket first, so I left the groceries in the car and I proceeded to knock on her door. Well, when the door opened, it was a very large bearded man who was really quite intimidating. I stood there with my basket and big pink bow and asked if Stacy was home. The man replied, I'm Stacy. And it was in that moment that I learned that Stacy can be the name for a woman and a man. <laughs> now, obviously, that did not turn out the way that I expected it to. And you know, it's, it's funny when we're talking about something like that, but it's not funny when we're talking about your marriage or, or your kids or your job or your finances because you expected everything to be different than what it is. You thought you'd be further along than this by now. You thought God would have come through already. You thought you would have had that baby in your arm or, or that husband or a different job or the marriage would be fixed by now. And, and what happens when you zig and God zags and you're left out here on your own and you've been declaring in faith, but it hasn't turned out the way that you expected it to. And what happens when you expected God to do something that he never said he'd do. And that's where the expectation gap comes in. 
Yes, God is good and we should expect good things, but the problem comes in when we start instructing God in how it should unfold, how it should go, when it should happen, and we give him the plan on all the ways he could fix it. And what happens when it doesn't turn out the way that we expected it to, the way that we planned it? It creates doubt. Doubt in God, doubt in his character, maybe even doubt in his existence. Well, I've been there. What my children and I have went through over the last five years have made me question an awful lot of things. I didn't know that over the next few years, everything I understood about myself, my faith, and my purpose would be tested to the core. I've doubted in this season if God was going to come through, but I've even doubted his existence. And you know what? I thought that if he was real, he must be pretty cruel because how could he sit back and watch me go through so much pain and not do what I think he should do and not rescue me from it? but rather watch me flounder like a fish out of water. But we're reminded in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for our good. And things may not always look good, but you can trust that God is working behind the scenes, bringing all of that mess, heartache, and disappointment together for your good. Look at it this way. How many of you love a good homemade chocolate chip cookie? Maybe two or three. Okay, four if they're so warm out of the oven. (laughs) Well, think of the ingredients it takes to make a good chocolate chip cookie. Flour, baking soda, salt, butter, eggs, sugar, chocolate chips. So all of those things together make a really great thing. But think of all those things on their own. Imagine eating three cups of flour or two raw eggs or even a cup of sugar. On their own, they aren't very good. But when brought together, they are really good. So think of that with your own life. And God may not always live up to your expectations, but he will always live up to his promises. If he said that he'll never leave you, he'll never leave you. But you've got to make sure that your expectations line up with what he promised. Well, the Bible says that he'll never give us more than we can handle. Wrong. That verse actually talks about temptation, not life. Well, he's an on-time God. Yeah, he is. But whose time frame is he working within? Yours or his? As I mentioned, the last five years of my life did not go the way that I expected it to. I had had a pretty cushioned life, easy, so to speak. You see, I was a daddy's girl, and pretty much anything that I wanted, I got. Yeah, maybe even a little spoiled. And then I got married, and I expected the fairytale wedding and marriage that I had been dreaming of since I was a little girl. We actually had a great life a thriving business, a beautiful home, nice trips, fancy restaurants, even perfect kids, ha ha. Then we sold our business and started pastoring a church and I was finally in my prime. I was finally feeling like life was fulfilled and almost perfect. I was doing what I was called to do. Our church was growing. We were making some great connections with some other ministries. Life was great. And then at the end of 2014, my dad died at the young age of 67. Now, you have to understand something. This is the dad who traveled the world with a healing ministry, healing thousands in the name of Jesus from sickness and disease, yet he himself dies of sickness. That certainly didn't go the way that I expected it to. I thought for sure God would heal him, and he would only die in old age from natural causes. Then six months after that, I discovered that my husband of nearly 20 years was being unfaithful to me. We were asked to resign from the church we were pastoring, and my world literally came crashing down. 
I fought for over a year to keep things together, but again, it, it didn't turn out the way that I expected it to. I remember telling God all the ways he should and could fix my husband, fix the situation. And I experienced some of the hardest days that I've ever had to experience. Some days where I literally just wanted to end it all. I doubted God's goodness, his character, and yeah, even his existence. And maybe that's you this morning. If it is, this word is for you. And you've just joined a very elite club. Look no further than Job. He was the greatest believer of his time. Faithful guy. He loses everything and yet he declares, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. But no one talks about Job 14, 19, where Job is talking to God and says, you destroy the hope of man. Wow, that's a great way to promote God. <laughs> Tell all your coworkers and neighbors, you've really got to come to church with me next Sunday so I can introduce you to my God. He destroys the hope of man. And then look at Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15, 18. But why? Why this chronic pain, this ever-worsening wound and no healing in sight? And here it is. You're nothing, God, but a mirage. A lovely oasis in the distance and then nothing. Jeremiah calls God a liar. Listen, if you're mad at God, you might as well tell him because he knows anyway. Look at Elijah. The story goes that for three years there had been no rain, a severe drought. And there's a showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal that the people of God had been worshiping. So Elijah challenges the 850 prophets to meet him on the mountain. Elijah tells them, okay, you guys build an altar with a bull as a sacrifice and pray to your God. And I'll pray to the God of Israel. And whichever God answers by sending fire down from heaven, he's the one true God. So the 850 prophets go first. They begin shouting, they cut themselves, but no fire fell. There was no barbecue that day for Team Baal. Elijah begins to taunt them, and I really like this guy. I think he's hilarious. He says, maybe you should pray louder to your God. Maybe he's sleeping and can't hear you. Or maybe God is busy in the bathroom. He really does say that. They give up, and Elijah takes over, and he builds trenches around the altar and drenches the altar in water, which you have to understand would have been very scarce at that time because there was a drought. He pours water on the altar, not once, not twice, not even three times, but four times, soaking the sacrifice, just to make sure that no one could say that it was by coincidence. He prays a prayer, and fire fell and consumed the altar and everything on it. Everyone fell on their knees and worshiped God. But Elijah takes it one step further, and he proceeds to kill the 850 prophets of Baal. Elijah is a powerhouse for God at this point. But then he gets a letter from the queen, Jezebel, and she is not happy. After all, Elijah has just killed 850 of her prophets. Have any of you men out there ever had a woman really mad at you before? Okay, men, I just want to urge you right now to not look at your wife, especially on Mother's Day. You will ruin this whole day right there in that one moment. <laughs> but men, maybe you can sympathize with Elijah here. So Jezebel declares that to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, he will be joining the prophets in death. Now, he had escaped her before, and you would think that after what just happened, that Elijah would respond powerfully, yet look at 1 Kings 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. The man of God is responding in fear. 
look at verse four. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life. Elijah is asking God to kill him. And I can relate to his words so much. God, I can't take it anymore. When will this end? And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe your finances have crumbled and you face a mountain of debt that you thought would be paid off by now. Maybe your business failed. Maybe your marriage fell apart. Maybe a loved one died unexpectedly. Maybe your child isn't serving God like you thought they would. And things just aren't what you expected. And maybe some of you are disappointed in God. Now, let me unpack this for a minute. God will never disappoint you. You might be feeling disappointed because of your expectations of what you thought what God was going to do, but he will never disappoint you. And why? Because he can't fail. Now, let me take it a step further. What God sometimes uses to build your faith are those disappointments. And what the devil brings to destroy your faith are those same disappointments. It's what you do with it. The same water that hardens an egg softens a carrot. This, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm still struggling with anxiety and depression. This, I gave my life to Jesus and to a Christian man and my marriage failed. So what do we do with disappointment? Well, a lot of us are going through disappointments and heartaches and we're on journeys that we never expected. But God isn't cruel. Everything evil in your life is just that, evil. No one is immune from pain. You want a promise of a pain-free life? There isn't one. God never promised a life of perfection this side of heaven, and he never promised that we would live a carefree, easy life. John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And God will never allow you to live a life that makes him unnecessary. And even if God doesn't change your circumstance, he changes your perspective. In Mark 14, verse 34, Jesus is about to be arrested and crucified, and he tells his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. <laughs> there are no words of Jesus that I can relate to more than this, because I know what it's like to be overwhelmed with sorrow that I think, this is it. Have you been there? I know what it feels like to walk into church and sit at the back and feel completely numb, like I can barely breathe. Being so overwhelmed that I can barely remember a sermon, yet sometimes just a sentence can change a person's life. And if that's you today and you're just barely hanging on, can I tell you how proud I am of you that you've taken the time to tune in today? This is exactly what you need, exactly what you need to be doing. Look a little bit further down at verse 35 and 36. Then he, Jesus, walked a short distance away and overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground and prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible to you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And I know what that feels like. Knowing that God can do anything and everything is capable of changing anything. God, change this circumstance in my life. I've seen you do it for other people. And this is where our faith comes in conflict with our feelings. Yet Jesus exchanged his will for God's. And even if God doesn't change my circumstance, I know he will use it for good somehow. 
It may not feel good or look good, but he's good and he's good to me. And my job is just to trust him. And that requires trading my will for his, sometimes every day, sometimes every hour. And I think of John the Baptist sitting in that prison questioning at this point the identity of Jesus. And isn't it strange when God's actions cause us to doubt his authenticity and character? But John identified Jesus based on who he was, which is really important in how we relate to God. Because if we only learn to identify God based on what he does and what he does for us, then our expectation will be attached to his activity in our lives. And that's dangerous. God is not our own little personal Santa Claus. Now, I want you to understand that John isn't in prison for theft or domestic abuse. No, he's in prison for standing up to King Herod. And John's expectations for Jesus were obviously different than what Jesus was doing because we see that John has to send his own disciples to ask Jesus if he's really the one that they've been waiting for or if they're supposed to wait around for someone else. <laughs> so what were John's expectations of Jesus, I wonder? Well, let's read Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And this is John speaking here about Jesus. He says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Ah, the winnowing fork. This was a type of pitchfork used to lift harvested wheat up into the air into the winds. And so the wind would then blow away the lighter chaff, allowing the edible grains to fall to the floor. Now, obviously, John used this as a metaphor, as I'm sure he wasn't expecting Jesus to come and do some farming. <laughs> but John was saying in part that Jesus was coming to sift and get the wicked out, to separate the wicked from the righteous. John's favorite word was repent, brimstone and fire. If John had a sign, it would read, turn or burn. And so now John is in prison, and someone that he has believed in since before he was born is doubting who Jesus is. So he sends his own disciples 100 miles to ask Jesus, are you the one we should be expecting? Or should we wait for someone else? In other words, I thought. Have you ever thought God was gonna? <laughs> now John's not denying Jesus. He's just thinking, maybe I trusted in the wrong one. And maybe some of you are listening today and you're wondering and you don't talk about it, but God made you some promises and you're not seeing them. The expectation gap of your expectations of what you thought God was going to do and what he actually does or doesn't do. Jesus responds to John's disciples in verse four and five. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. But guess what wasn't in that verse? the fork and the fire. Jesus wasn't doing any of the things that John expected him to. And we've had these moments with God, if we're really honest, that there are some things that you're trying to figure out right now. Where is it, God? And what on earth is this? <laughs> but what if he's not doing what you expected because he wants to do so much more, immeasurably more? What if God didn't meet your expectations because he wants to exceed them? Go tell John what I'm doing, fulfilling the prophecy, not their preferences. What he said he would do and not what they thought. And that's what God is trying to deliver us from. He's so much bigger than our expectations. And he needs your faith not to rest in who you think he is or whether or not he fits your agenda. 
quit trying to figure it all out. Are you going to continue to interpret him through the lens of your expectations? Or are you going to set your expectations on the basis of who he is? God doesn't want you to put him in a formula or in a box. So who am I speaking to today that, that you've been through some things that weren't what you thought they were going to be? And it's affecting your faith now. And even in a sense, God is not who you thought he was going to be to you. And it's probably challenging. But go tell John we're right on schedule. It wasn't in vain. There is a greater purpose. The plan is bigger than what you can see. And if you can remember this, I'm doing it. Just not like what you want it to maybe. But I'm doing it. He is working. Matthew eleven seven in the second part of the verse, Jesus describes John. He says, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swaying by the wind? John wasn't a reed swaying, meaning that he wasn't soft and easily swayed or intimidated. No, he was stubborn and determined. So much so that he got hung up on what Jesus wasn't doing. Is that you right now? It's not that God didn't do anything for you or bless you. It's just different than what you thought. And as long as you stay stuck there in what you think he should be doing, you can't be a part of what God is doing. So be set free today by the fact that he may not be meeting your agenda or keeping all of your appointments or organizing everything to match your exact preferences, but there is a greater purpose and there is a bigger picture. And generations after you will be blessed if you can resist the urge to control God and say, God, if you're not done working, then I'm not done waiting. Go tell John, blessed is he who doesn't get bent out of shape over the way he thought it was going to be, but accepts what I'm doing in their life. And he wants to set you free today from the way that you thought it was going to be. And guess what can happen then? You can embrace what it is. And you know what he's going to do? More than you thought he would. More than you expected. The first place of freedom is in your area of expectation. In 1988, an 8.2 magnitude earthquake struck Armenia, killing over 30,000 people in less than four minutes. In the midst of utter chaos, a father rushed to the school where his son was supposed to be, only to discover that the building had been flattened like a pancake. After the traumatic initial shock, the father remembered the promise he had always made to his son that no matter what, I'll always be there for you. And as he looked at the pile of debris that was once a school, it looked hopeless but he kept remembering his commitment to his son. He began to concentrate on where his son's classroom would have been and rushed to start digging through the rubble, through the rock. And as he was digging, the other parents arrived and they began pulling him off saying, it's too late, they're all dead. You can't help at this point. Come on, face reality. There's really nothing you can do. Yet the father continued to dig. The firemen came, the policemen came, pulling him off as well, telling him to stop, but he refused. He dug for eight hours, 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. And then in the 38th hour, he pulled back a large piece of concrete and heard his son's voice. He shouted his name and his son responded back, Dad, it's me. I told the other kids not to worry. I told them that you would come because you promised me that no matter what, you would always be there for me. Now that's a human story with a human father, but how much more does your heavenly father love you and comes back to find you? And I don't know what doubt, depression, 
unmet expectations that you're dealing with this morning, but you've got a heavenly father digging rock by rock saying, just hold on, I'm coming for you. It may not be what you thought it was gonna be, but I'm still with you, I'm still working, and I still have great plans for your life. And I believe today that there may be somebody who needs to give their life to Jesus. You've never surrendered control of your life to God, and you've heard this message today about trusting God even when it doesn't look like you thought it would be, like you planned. On the cross was nailed everything that stood against you. And when Jesus came and rose from the dead, it was so that he might raise you to new life and you'll never be the same. And right now I wanna pray for you. This is your moment to come back to God or maybe to come to God for the first time. Repeat this prayer after me if that's you. Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Today, I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm done fighting. I believe that Jesus died so that I could be forgiven and rose again to give me new life. I receive this now in Jesus' name. And for the rest of us, let me pray for you too in this area of unmet expectations. God, I pray that this message doesn't fall on deaf ears. Would you heal the places where we have been disappointed? You said that you came to set us free, so set us free from ourselves and and from our disappointments. Set us free from the need to control our lives, to call the shots, and to know the plan. John said, are you the one I just need to know? And God says to you today, it's me. It's me getting you through this season. It's me that's allowed some of the things that you didn't like in your life. I didn't cause them, but I'm using them. All of them. It's me. It's me that you need to make sense of your life. It's me. And friend, that thing that won't let you get away from him, that's grace. God, we just need to know that you are with us and that you're our shepherd, that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us. And that God, there is a bigger picture. We trust you, not ourselves, not our circumstances. It's you we're leaning on, no one else. Our help and our strength comes from you. Life works better when we work with you, not fight against you. Amen. And I wanna declare this blessing over you and your family this morning as we end. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you. Be blessed today, church.